Welcome to your new Ford Sierra. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> Welcome to North v South, the podcast that isn't, and isn't about design. This is episode 31. Fantastic. Yeah. I get excited every, you know, obviously every week it's a, it's one more. I still get excited. 30, 30 episodes, 31 episodes. I don't think 31 is in line with the, uh, your October fest or whatever it is you're yes. doing. Yes. Yes. Inktober. Inktober. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm looking forward to doing that little project. So, uh, we've been out in the park a couple of times this week and we were lucky enough to see a Kingfisher zip by and then um it just settled on a branch and it was fishing and we watched it for kind of 15 minutes or so and it flew off and we went back into the park today with the express purpose of finding this kingfisher and saw it about five times really so we kind of know exactly where it goes now and kind of where its little perches are and stuff so at some point i'm gonna have to sit myself down for an hour and just see if i can get a good picture of it it was just too far away um, for a decent picture with my camera. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, amazing. I mean, just very beautiful birds. I've only ever seen them as a, a little blue flash before. So it was, it was fantastic to see them, to see him sort of sat and fishing, uh, fishing from his perch. Very, very beautiful. Yeah. I love them. Um, and it's also in the park as well. It's, uh, it's rutting season for <clears> the day. <throat> Is that what you were doing there then? Yeah, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the noise they make. If anyone, have you ever heard a red deer um, bellowing? Yeah, well, it I, is a hell of a noise. Yeah, it's quite scary because I, when I lived in Windsor, I used to run through the Great Park, and so rutting season it was often yeah. be very, very misty, and then yeah. that one would just burst out right beside you. So it was quite, it was quite frightening. I, I'm actually a bit scared of them. I, I'm a bit of a wuss when it comes to four-legged creatures <laughs> like <laughs> horses time. horses and deers and i got yeah. chased by a, a, a female deer in richmond park once and it was terrifying if they can they killed someone in richmond park a couple of years ago didn't they did they uh, yeah a, a woman got an antler to the neck <sighs> and killed um and i think a few dogs get killed every year by deer yeah. but, um not benton though no not benton um if you've never heard of red deer then if you remember the first bit from uh, Jurassic Park when the T-Rex <laughs> shouts at the car with the kids in it. it sounds just like that. Oh, I thought you were going to say they used it as the sound effect. Well, they probably did. I mean, it's, it's a hell of a noise, particularly when there's quite a few of them at it. Yeah. Yeah, but that was great. So it's been lovely getting out in the park, discovering more new little bits. So I had a very long walk down by the Longford River today. Um, but yeah, beautiful. And mostly working this week? Yeah. Um, finished, been quite productive. Finished three commissions. Uh, posted a couple of those out. Started on another little thing for Instagram that I'm doing. And plan- I spoke about this Inktober thing with the isometric houses that I'm going to do. So I've kind of... Uh, thought more about that idea. So it's going to be uh, 31 cubed. So it's 31 days, 31 drawings. And I'm going to sell them all for 31 quid each. Nice. Uh, and, and it's just going to be a nice metric building a day for mm-hmm. the month of October. So that's a nice little project for me. Yeah. 
And what, are you, do, draw, what are you drawing them onto then? They're all going to be, I've just bought a couple of nice, uh, heavy, smooth cartridge paper pads. So they're going to be A5, so a little bit smaller than I normally work. But um, yeah, I, I think I always benefit from having a little project on the go, even if it's not something, not like a daily drawing, even if it's just something kind of in the background. Um, and it's proving quite, quite a good way for me to work, I think that I can kind of jump in and out of drawings. You know, you get stuck on a certain bit or, you know, sometimes they just get a bit tedious after a while. So it's it's um, it's working for me. And I'm enjoying it. Really enjoying my drawing at the minute. Yeah, well, you sound it. You sound uh, full of beans, which is good. Mm. Yeah. So what else have you been up to this week? Has it all been <laughs> um, interviewing and... Oh, I've been doing lots of grunty kind of uh, lots of little brochures, flyers. Um, I've just had a client f- uh, phone me up today from their boardroom. So it was a group sort of <laughs> like uh, request um, that they want me to buy tomorrow. Um, they, I've got to produce new business cards, a 12 page brochure, uh, an eight page brochure, two pull up stands, and uh, there was something else. Oh, and a, and a leaflet that they want to go to print tomorrow. <laughs> oh, should should I go? <laughs> do, you to, do you want to call it a night? Well, I'm still reeling from the from the phone call. So uh, no, well, it, it is a case of it. I've got the existing. You know, it's a new brand, so I'm just moving it what content from one to another. But I don't think they quite appreciate how long that might take me. Mm. So yeah, I got a lot of pressure tomorrow, and uh, Jessica's going away to Madrid. To see her best friend for a well, weekend. How, how delightful! I assume she's taking Kitty for a no, little while. No, no, because she's not leaving Kitty with you. Yeah, I know. Oh, what? I know it's going to be chaos. <laughs> Cute yeah, chaos, the cr- crusts of pizzas strewn across. Uh, what else have I been doing? I've started uh, a little side project, as I always do and never finish. But this is my next history project, and so yeah, I started some taking pictures. some little, just little Instagram photos of. Uh, the collection of photographs that I've got. And I, I, I'm kind of coming to the realisation that I've got a real treasure t- trove of images from World War Two from my granddad's. Uh, he was just a, well, a gunner, but he uh, took a lot of photos. I must have, I think there must be about 150, something like that. Cool. They're all little brownie sized. So they're about, I don't know, two and a half inch, th- maybe three inches, something like that by couple of inches deep um and they've got sort of deckled edges to them um but they're they're really interesting they they some of them are annotated and they follow him from egypt all the way through tunisia up through italy back to egypt and then uh on up northern europe via holland brussels and then germany where he ended up i think he was working in a displaced persons um okay unit uh, in Germany for until about 1946 when he got discharged. Um, so yeah, it's a really interesting long story because he he uh, he, lo- he loved the war. I mean, well, when I say love it, he said it made him as a man. You know, it yeah. it, um, it defined him, and he he had a what he called a good war. He didn't he wasn't a frontline. Yeah, uh, true. Uh, he was he was a um, a spotter for artillery. Yeah. So he would. I guess it was like I guess it was like that for a lot of soldiers, wasn't it? Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, the majority, you know, the, the front front line is only, you know, five, 10% of the fighting forces, yeah. really. Yeah. You know, he, he was a, um, 
but yeah so and i just get myself drawn into the images so you know, i have to identify what the vehicles are and etc cetera, etc cetera, and i just get into some kind of like academic you know wrangling yeah like, it sounds it it makes me want to dig out my granddad's pictures as well yeah did he did he take them out yeah it's similarly sort of egypt and north africa i remember seeing some of his pictures so i'll have oh, to speak I'd to my mum yeah yeah yeah. So uh, uh, other than that, well, we've just been um, had some nice things said us, said about uh, the podcast, which uh, has been nice. And um, yeah, we talked about last time we met about promoting ourselves a bit better. And um, we realised that we are a niche show in a niche of a niche <laughs> kind of yeah. uh, uh, sort of channel of podcasting. But we'd like to be a little bit more better known. Yeah. And maybe run a bit more of a professional tight ship. <laughs> or maybe Shit. not. I don't know. No, I think, you know, a little bit more professionalism would be certainly I think on the, the marketing front. It's difficult, the marketing side of it. You know, how do we how do we get the word out there? I think, you know, big thanks to uh Daniel Gray this week. Yeah, it's yeah, it's very generous. His shout out that um <clears throat> got us a few new subscribers, which is always good. Um, but yes, news for now. What have you got? Well, I saw that um, Biro is 117 years old because mm. I clicked on Google. And like all other news agencies, I think a lot of news agencies go to Google in the morning and use that as one of their first news feeds <laughs> inspiration yeah. because it was across all the other newspapers within a couple of hours. Um, and it's not even a story. 117 years old. What's the relevance? Is a uh, was the original bio 117 millimetres long? Yeah, it's a strange one, isn't it? Could you draw for 117 metres? What's the relevance? I don't know. Anyway, it was old, um, what was his name? Laszlo Biro. Laszlo, it? yeah. Uh, you know, good invention. Absolutely. I don't was use he, it myself. Uh, was, Do you use a ballpoint pen? Uh, I don't anymore. Um, there's a really good artist called um, Mark Powell. You might have seen his stuff on Instagram or uh, Twitter. I think Mark Powell Art, and he does the most amazing drawings just using uh, biro pens. Um, and he does them on old maps and covers of National Geographic or birth certificates, um, and they're beautiful, real dense uh, imagery, portraits, and pictures of birds and things. Fantastic! No, I've so, never seen his work. You know, you can, it might be a, you know, a throwaway little pen, but you can put it to some amazing use. And it uses capillary action. I was trying to remember what else we were talking about that uses capillary that's very rare. That um, uh, I don't know. No. But yes, it does. So you could use it. I guess you could use it in space, could you? The biro? No, because I don't think the pressure works quite as, you know, you haven't got atmospheric pressure, have you, pushing on the... Well, in, inside a spaceship you would have, wouldn't you? I don't know, I've never still have been pressure. Still have pressure. Wasn't there a special? There is a special the Fisher space pen yeah. that used to be in the Innovations magazine alongside the potato powered electric clock. Yeah, and there was the the whole thing, wasn't there? That NASA spent so many million developing a pen that would work in zero gravity, and the Russians said, "Well, if you just use a pencil." But apparently, pencils don't work out in space. What? <laughs> Get out. I don't know. I heard that was apocryphal. That story, really? Yeah, we should get a little klaxon. You just, you okay. know, like a like yeah, a like on QI. QI. <laughs> <clears throat> no, but the thing that it led me to think about was that it's one of those things that 
that, and again, this might be apocryphal, but I've uh, delved into is that lots of other biro type contraptions were invented all at the same time. So there was a report into the fact that you could possibly make a biro type device. And then biro was the one who came up with the winning invention that, you know, that got adopted by um, manufacturers all over the world. But there were lots of other uh, inventors who came up with the same thing. I didn't realize that Biro was an editor and that he was fed up with a clogging pen. So that's what, that's what drove him to, uh, to investigate further. But um, you know, lots of inventions happened at the same time, didn't they? Like cameras and television. And a lot of them are disputed as to who invented what first. I mean, space race is, is a classic example, isn't it? Of rocket, rocket, technology yeah um, but um i looked up and i found that it's a thing it's an actual thing it's called multiple discovery um, is it uh is that kind of a a known recognized and accepted thing it's a hypothesis it's known mm. as simultaneous invention or multiple discovery. I'm reading directly off Wikipedia here, yeah. so I'm making myself sound a lot more intelligent than uh, <laughs> than our listeners know I am. I guess very rarely do are things invented from a vacuum, so they're they're built on uh, an invention or a discovery or some research that preceded it. So I guess that research and those discoveries and it, previous inventions are available to everyone, aren't they? So that's why you know, people can come to the similar sort of results. You know, if, uh, I don't know, you know, if the biro was based on someone's paper on capillary action, then it's entirely possible that, you know, two people are going to have put it to the same use independently. It's like in, um, in sort of pure academic research, you know, um, Darwin's, um, yeah, evolutionary species. Of, yeah, it was was uh, discovered by was it was it Wallace? Yeah, um, sort of simultaneously. Calculus uh, again was Newton and some French bloke. Travolta. Uh, yes. Oh no, that was so, Greece. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. So these things do happen, I guess, but it must be because um, because they're based on kind of existing stuff well i yeah no it's a it's a it's a definite um a whole rabbit hole isn't it of uh interest it is it is fascinating stuff yeah but yeah the it's going back to the 117 years that is a very strange anniversary to mark i wonder what the the gift for 117 year anniversary is i don't know no i don't know either some gravel for the grave yes like weird, weird, weird graves with white gravel on them. Oh uh, yeah, not a fan of those. <clears throat> gravel. Uh, your turn. Uh, this was an article that I saw on, I think I saw it on Twitter, but it was an article written on Medium, uh, and it's about Van Moof bikes, which I'd never heard of. Uh, they make uh, posh posh bikes. They're Dutch company they make uh, fancy bikes um and it's a, a weird little tale of how they change something in their supply chain kind of thing uh because they were delivering bikes to people and they were always um getting damaged um you know masses of them were getting 
uh, damaged in transit um, and, you know, badly damaged. It was costing them a lot of money. And then someone realized that, well, something else that gets delivered by courier and, you know, the kind of delivery companies are flat screen TVs. And the reason they thought about this is because their bikes ship in cardboard boxes that are almost exactly the same size as a very big flat screen TV. So this bike company decided they would print a picture of a flat screen TV on the boxes of their bikes and damage dropped by 90%. No way. Yeah. That's a brilliant story. Isn't that incredible? That's such a good semantic kind of Yeah, I don't really know how to sort of categorise it as a story, but um, the reason they kind of looked into it was because their their aim is to sell 90% of their bikes online. Um, so the, the damage to them was, uh, was a massive, massive issue. Um, but yeah, just very clever. It's kind of like that was that the kind of philosophy, isn't it? Of, uh, the kind of nudge philosophy where you kind of give people little nudges into different types of behavior. And I guess that's one of them. Uh, I guess courier people and delivery people are much, are going to be much more careful about a you know, something they know is delicate and expensive than something they think of as robust and cheaper. I'm wearing a new pair of glasses, Rob. Are you? Yeah. Do you, um, want, to see, do you want to see them live on Snapchat? <laughs> if I had Snapchat, yes. <laughs> I don't have Snapchat. No, neither do I. <laughs> um, are you uh, Are you recognisable or are you kind of a bit like Clark Kent? No. Uh, no, I look like a twat, Rob. I'm sure that's not the case, John. Have you seen uh, Snapchat? Have released some hardware spectacles. Oh, sorry, I'm with you now. <laughs> uh, Cut up at the back there. It's because I was already looking at my next item. You can tell they're um, so scripted. I haven't seen them. I've seen the headline about it, but I haven't seen them. So, um, yeah, I can completely believe that you'd look a dick. Well, follow follow my follow my link there, and you'll soon soon see. Um, I will. It's kind of. Looks like something from the early 80s, like a pop band, early 80s sunglasses, something that maybe Howard Jones would have worn. Um, they, oh, or, or Timmy Mallet. Yeah, Timmy Mallet. Yeah, no, they, they are. So they've taken the technology and rather than trying to hide it in the glasses, they've exposed it. So it's more yeah. like a, it's like a swatch kind it's of. It's like the Pompidou centre of uh, yeah. smart glasses. Uh, I'm not sure what it's going to do. I think it just records a little bit of video at the top of a button. Um, and it's a, he, the, the, um, the CEO, uh, Spiegel is his name. Oh, yeah. He claims that they're going to take a slow approach to rolling them out, which, you know, if you, if you don't have any demand for a product, then that's the best way to go with rolling is, out, rolling out technology. Uh, I think it will go the way of Google glass. I, 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 um, I find devices at, you know, fascinating uh, and i think that the watch is where it will work i think that glasses are stupid idea <laughs> but i think that you know that augmented reality over the eyesight of you know you yeah, were yeah. talking a couple of weeks ago where it will be you know directly you know laser yeah, a head-up display directly into your retina is kind of you know it's inevitable, isn't it, that we will, that humanity will find a way of, of yeah. exploring that and exploiting it. But a pair of glasses is so impractical. People who don't wear glasses don't want to wear glasses. I can see a watch is easy, isn't it? It's easy to put on. It doesn't get in your way. But 
the biggest pain in the ass in my life is wearing glasses and constantly cleaning them and mm. all those kind of things. I don't want them. So I think, you know, I don't think that that's going to work as a, as a, as a device that's going to become widely adopted. It's interesting that they've tried it given that, you know, the amount of resources Google through their Google glass project when that failed, um, you'd have thought they might have thought, Oh, Maybe we shouldn't bother. Mm. I mean, Google Glass had a really strange rollout, didn't it? It was uh, invite only to begin with, wasn't it? And they kind of gave them out to kind of entrepreneurs and pop stars and things. And then it was ludicrously expensive and you had to go pick them up in person. And, you know, it was all very weird to try and, I guess, increase the allure. Um, and then about two years later, they cancelled it. Mm. I never ever saw anyone wearing them. Oh, I did in uh, Houston Airport. I, I see. saw somebody. Yeah, uh, but I think the 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 CEO is is that I'm being a little bit unfair to him because he said it is a fun thing. It's a toy, and it's I guess it's trying to promote them. I think they've just changed their name or they're rebranding, so it might be something that is so cheap to manufacture and that they'll get their money back on. That kind of yeah. thing. So they're not really exploring new, new worlds, as it were. It's, all yeah. it does literally is video. Yeah, I guess the the technology has come on a while, a, a bit since Google did there. So it'll be cheaper, won't it? Yeah, it's one hundred and twenty nine dollars. It's quite a lot cheaper, is it? Well, Google Glass was fifteen hundred dollars to begin with. Wow, really? Yeah, yeah. Mm. When it first came out, and I don't think it got much below a thousand. Mm. really expensive um well from that we go um in entirely the opposite direction from that kind of high-tech technology and social media to um to a man whittling spoons um we're talking at, at the beginning of the show about how i like to have a project on the go and i've done uh i did a year-long project drawing robots every day and this guy called stian kontvid I think, uh, is uh, spent a year carving a wooden spoon a day. Um, and they're all made out of various types of wood. Um, and I don't know, they're all a little bit different. Some of them are completely different. That You know, they barely look like spoons or they're kind of completely impractical. Some of them are just absolutely beautiful Objects. Some look very sort of Japanese and minimal. Some are quite sort of clunky, and you know you can imagine a, a hunter, you know, having carved them sort of quite quickly. Um, one of them looks a bit like a sex toy. Um, <laughs> they're fantastic. They're all so different, and it's the sort of project that makes me really want to make something physical with my hands. Um, I love this sort of thing. I'd love to, I don't know, maybe I should go on a spoon making course. <laughs> Is that all they did for a year? Well, you only did one of these a day, so I don't suppose they took him all day. They'd take me uh, forever. Well, yeah, but not after you've made 364 of them. That's an insane amount, isn't it? It is. Does it but develop? Great, it, gets, it gets more and more complicated. They do, don't they? It's almost exactly the opposite of um, these diagrams that I've been looking at this week by Raymond Lowy. Yeah. Have you heard of him? Uh, uh, yes. 
he was a designer um and i've read this through um creative review uh this week i didn't know who he was i will um plead ignorance but he designed so many amazing things and uh, he was a french designer but moved to new york after the first world war and designed an enormous amount of amazing uh kind of art deco style industrial products the studebaker um and shell logo yeah that's i think that's where i know him from i think we we uh talked about his work at um college Right. Okay. I, I I'd never seen his stuff, but he did these drawings of. Um, I'm desperately trying to find them. Uh, of some. Uh, no, my brain has gone. Hang on. Yeah. So if you go to his his official site, it's RaymondLowy.com, and it's a terrible website for such a an incredible designer. Um, but. In there is his gallery. I don't suppose he's had much of a hand in it, has he? No, he hasn't. Uh, I don't think. He, I don't think he'd like it at all. But it's re- it's really poor. I mean, really poor. He did some. He does these drawings that are like development drawings. So if you scroll down, and then there the last three. So click on the first yeah. one. It looks like little grids. So these are little sketches of developments of products where he's gone. He's taken a ship. You know, a late eighteen nineties or whatever. And then developed it through to a modern ship. And he's done that with a, a ship, a house, dresses. And it all points to the 1930s being, you know, the simp- the ultra simplification of an object, the, the stripping, yeah. stripping away. And I, I guess, I mean, you know, it's easy for him to make that argument that that's what the designers have been doing. But it really is compelling when you it see is, it visually it? of the stripping away, which with this, you know, it's the complete opposite of the spoon thing where he's developing the spoon into something else all the way through it. Um, but I, I, spe- I especially like the uh, aeroplane one. I think it's fantastic. <laughs> Let me look at that one. <laughs> or, or, or the, or the, uh, the automobile one. <laughs> That's cool. I like the train. Yeah. Everything just yeah. gets smoother and simpler and faster and more sleek. It does. I think you could do some really nice uh, space ones like that. The development yeah, of your little spaceships. Yeah, they're really nice. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know he'd done anything like that. I think I predominantly knew him through um, logo designs. Um, <clears throat> yeah, looking at these, the Shell and Lucky Strike are the kind of the ones I knew. Right, I didn't know he was a designer at all, yes. so I am an ignoramus. Very cool. If you just Google his diagrams, there's loads of kind of interesting little sketches and drawings and things. Really nice. Well, I've got... Um, something called the bolted book do you know about the bolted book no again this is something i remember seeing when i was at college and it's entirely passed out of my memory for the last 25 years um until richard weston asj 170 uh, reminded me about it because there's um a company that are going to remake this bolted book so in 1927 fortunato de um, created uh, De Pero Futurista, which uh, which was the bolted book. And it's kind of a, I guess it's like a an avant-garde manifesto book of futurism. Um, and the reason it's called the bolted book is because it's bound together with two huge, great steel bolts on one side. 
um, and the website, thebaltedbook.com, has got um, beautiful pictures of all the spreads. And it's a fantastic thing. Oh, who's the other futurist design? Was it Marinetti? Is he one of the futurists? I think I vaguely remember that name. Um, but it's beautiful, kind of all typographic, um, really interesting sort of layouts and designs. Um, and it's going to be re um, recreated. So they're going to produce a facsimile of this bolted book. And I think it's a Kickstarter. Um, but it's fantastic. I love this uh, this thing about kind of recreating stuff. We had it with the, what was it, the NASA brand guidelines, um, which recently got reprinted. I think they did that for the British Real ones as well, didn't they? Um, I think it's, that's one of the good things about kind of te- modern technology and printing that we can kind of, you know, bring these, bring these things back to life for, for new generations. Um, but it's great. Love a bit of futurism. Mm. Yeah, no, I love it. So is that, is there a Kickstarter kicking off or is it? Uh, sign up for a special pre Kickstarter <clears throat> offer. Uh, oh, it goes live. Kickstarter goes live on October the 18th. And it's going to be bolted together. Yeah. Doing the whole kit and caboodle. All right. It's great. Really nice. So that's one to look out for if you like a bit of design history. Yeah, I'm. I'm. You know, I have no education in design, so all of these are new things to me. I, d- I don't never studied them or looked at them. I I, I recognise some of the bits and bobs, and I understand yeah. what 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 it means, but I've never seen it before in my life. Hmm. <clears throat> and bits that I do know about are tanks, Rob. <laughs> You do indeed. But I found a photo today that really surprised me. Uh, did you see the one that I, I have put on there? Look, yeah. So there's a Churchill tank on the South Downs. <laughs> well, most of one. Yeah, bits of it. Yeah. Did you know there was one up there? I didn't, but it kind of doesn't surprise me. Yeah. You know, all along the Downs, there are so many sort of relics and remnants of the Second World War. Um, that it's just fascinating but I, you know i didn't specifically know there were any tanks yeah and there's the sad part of the story is that it was it's canadian churchill tank and it was one of the ones that was an early model of it that was used in the dieppe raid which uh, okay. was disastrous for um yes. canadian troops uh, and uh yeah an utter white uh, whitewash um so yeah, that's the sad bit of it. But it is it is incredible that sitting in this field on the top of yeah. a hill somewhere is a is a is a tank just a that's rusting. Weird, you could you could walk up to that and climb in, couldn't you? Yeah. So I put that. There. That's not really news, is it? Just, no, no, no. But that's cool because <clears throat> also on the sort of downs and around the River Way, where I used to live in Godalming, the River Way apparently was the the line at which we would have, in the event of a German invasion in the Second World War, that's how far we would have pulled back. So we would have abandoned everything below that. And our line of defence would have been around the river way. Um, so around there, particularly along the riverbank, you've got loads and loads of sort of concrete pillboxes and bunkers and things, which are all still there. Which is, I just found amazing when I lived around there. I couldn't believe um, there was that kind of military history still still around you expect it in you know places like guernsey or on the south coast but not 
50, 60 miles inland. Yeah, that my, my friend lives uh, other side of Farnham and, and mm. their, their fields are full of pillboxes and the end of street corners and all yeah. sorts of things. So just, you know, that whole line um, really was going to be the uh, the final the final stand, as it were. Yeah, it's kind of amazing to think we would have pulled back to defend. Not that it had made it across the channel. No. Yeah. Not according to uh, the war games that have been played at um, Sandhurst. Really? Yeah. Oh. With with German and British generals yeah, replaying it, have... they did it in the early seventies, and, uh, and just never have the Royal Navy turned up and um, sank pretty much the entire invasion force. Oh. yeah. I wonder if they knew that then. No, I don't think so. Uh, and and it's only a war game, isn't it? it could, anything could have happened, and uh, the, yeah. the Royal Navy lover lover balls up. <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, it's really that's a that's a fascinating part of history. The sort of the proposed invasion of of Britain and yeah, the, respon- the response to it, and how in the nineteen seventies it was used as a well, the late sixties, early seventies as a proper exercise for the army. Mm. <clears throat> Something yeah. that uh, you know could happen in the future, I guess. Something you never know. Yeah, you'd hope not. Uh, so you're going to go and uh, seek out this. This tank? Do you know exactly where it is? No, I, no, I, no, I don't know where it is. Somewhere on the South Downs. Not really. I'm, I just, I just thought it was, uh, I thought it was cool. Um, yeah. I know, the, I know, on the uh, uh, up your way, there's loads of bits of planes, aren't there? All over the. Uh, Are there? Yeah, all over the um, the high points. Lots of planes that didn't make it back, ditched or whatever. So there's hey, lots, what's, of, lots what's of my way. <laughs> <laughs> Do you mean the north? Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, Derbyshire, Yorkshire, what are those bits called? <laughs> it's just the north. What are the hills called around Derbyshire? I can't remember. Uh, the um, Pennines. The Pennines, yeah. <laughs> and the Dales. and Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I guess a lot of them um, would have been coming after sort of North Sea, wouldn't they? So yes. they would have been sort of in the East Riding and Lincolnshire and Yorkshire Worlds and things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, next bit of news I have um, is a bit of type news, which is uh, uh, a bunch of companies, including Google, Apple, Adobe, Microsoft, are developing a new type of font, um, which is called um, <laughs> what's it oh, yeah, called? I saw, I saw this. Uh, so it's variable fonts. So at the minute. Um, if you want uh, to use a font on a, a website, then you'll have, you know, regular or light or bold and italic. Uh, variable fonts replace all those multi- multiple separate fonts by one font. Um, and it's allowed to be, it's kind of designed to be manipulated uh, a, f- a font's baseline design to be tweaked across 64,000 different axes. In other words, a variable font can probably be bold, uh, not by downloading a separate font file, but by sending the computer precise mathematical instructions on how to turn a B into a bold B, and widen the main stroke by 10%, increase the aperture by 5 thicken the shoulders by 7%. Um, yeah, sorry. So it's quite... Sorry. No, go on. Uh, no, it's like multiple masters, is it? From it is. The 90s. I guess I think it's just uh, a more powerful development of that. 
Yes, um, it's, it's it's really clever. It, it's going to lead to um, uh, abuses, but yeah, I think having them all like, tied up in one file makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? Oh God, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, very clever. Although they're saying that variable fonts are so powerful, there's technically no reason they can't contain multiple typefaces, which seems bizarre. So a type a font could morph between Zipfina, Futura, and Wingdings without requiring three different font downloads. Yeah. Or go from Papyrus to uh, Brush Script through to, to um, Comic Sans. Comic Sans. Yeah. I'd pay for that one. You would, wouldn't you? I've seen <clears throat> yeah. that in all your work. It'd be my website. <laughs> yeah, so it's quite uh, it's quite interesting that it's. I mean, it seems you know, type people of which I'm not one, you know, seem to be quite excited about it. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops. Um, but good that it's being developed in conjunction with so many of the big players. Nothing like a a new format that's only supported by half the machines out there. Yeah, I can I can really see that taking taking hold. I mean, you know, you only have to look back what four or five years, and we were using Flash to swap out fonts on online, and now suddenly we've got a massively uh, abundant um, online type yeah. um, choice, and it working really well, really easily. Um, and there was so much argument over that, so I can't see that this is is going to be an issue bringing in and the fact that being able to animate between between the different um yeah. weights on a, on a typeface is, is really nice isn't it you you'll get a lot more movement in websites <coughs> that aren't just doing animation for the sake of it yeah and um, you'd be able to have headlines that are actually you know expressing themselves a bit like the, the daily profit in harry potter yes that's where we're all heading. Well, I mean, you know, all these '90s kids—they, they all, they all have um, affiliations to the houses, don't they? In their bios in LinkedIn, so yeah. Like, I'm a Huffle, poor, a, a, a sugar puff. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Let's leave that there, shall we? <laughs> uh, have you got any more news for us, John? No. Should we go home? Yeah, you can. You can crack on with all the work you've got to do. We've been doing um, writing a few uh, subject matters down and discussing what we're going to be talking about. And we do want to stay on the design theme, but we don't want to. We, we said, you know, when we said when we started this um, podcast, one of the main things was not to be didactic and not to try and teach. What one because we don't know anything, and two, well, I don't know anything, and two because uh, we don't want to be preachy. I don't know why. Why do we want to be preachy, Rob? Um, because that's dull yeah we don't want to be it? dull we are du- we know we're dull in our own special dull way yeah yeah we just don't want to be dull like everyone else yeah we're like battleship gray yeah we're gray but we're battleships i don't know <laughs> I, I ha- i've had a glass of wine rob have you yeah okay um so today we're going to talk about we're, we're going to talk about architecture a little bit but more about homes and what they mean and if you could build or not not necessarily build because that makes it sound like DIY SOS. But you know, if you could uh, gather together all your favourite parts of houses and and homes and what the essence of of being at home is, then we're going to talk through that. So we're going to build virtually through the through the efforts of brain sound. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Take over, Rob. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk you through our um, our ideal. Houses. Yeah, that's it. Um, 
It's funny actually because I watched Grand Designs last night, and it was—I don't know if you saw it—it it was um, no. a house in Horsham, and this couple lived in a a very nice sort of farmhousey cottage thing, uh, and they built a brand new—they called it an extension, but it was about five times as big as the cottage, and it was going to be linked via a you know a glass corridor type thing. Um. But one of the things they put into this house was that they wanted it to be fun. And that always, to me, sounds like a terrible idea for a house if you're kind of setting out for it to be fun as kind of one of the overriding um, objectives. But I think that, you know, they had three kids and I think by fun they meant uh, a slightly eclectic and a little bit... um, I don't know really, but I I think one of the things they wanted to do was almost build a house that had some of the quirks that you would get in an old building that had been kind of built, changed and added on to. So they had like a main staircase in this house and then they had like a little secret one, which is almost like a little servant stairway. And they had uh, a secret doorway, which was a bookcase, which revolved. Um, And then in the, the loft they had a slightly weird James Bondish kind of viewing pod. Um, so a lot of it sounds absolutely terrible, and I didn't really like the house finished, but I thought it was interesting that they were trying to build into a house kind of uh, almost like old eccentricities, but but in a new building. Um, and I think when I think about building a house, there's an element of that, that I want, even if it would be to be a, a brand new, you know, kind of clean lines home, I wouldn't want it to be, you know, a minimalist box. I'd want, you kind of want to build character into it. And I think that's one thing that modern buildings often lack, particularly modern residential buildings. They often lack character. Um, don't you think? Yeah, I think, I think, that memory again will drive a lot of what you want in a house. If you were building a house from scratch and you could bring ideas, I guess what they were bringing in were things that they, that that appealed to them um, Mm. throughout their lives. And so therefore they, they rolled them into there like the servant stairwell, maybe perhaps um, one of them had one in a house or they'd been to a hotel and seen it or so. So we're informed by our memory, aren't we? And so those things that you try and make you comfortable in your house because your house is, um, I mean, we all live in them to some extent and, uh, we live our, you know, our lives are lived out in, in houses and we bring up families and, uh, we play and have fun and cry and, you know, cook and do all sorts of things in, in houses. And we increasingly work in them as well. So they are more and more inextricably Com, uh, entwined with with our life you know uh, with us yeah. as, as people and therefore it's really important that they reflect what you believe in if you just live in a box uh, like a starter home kind of thing then it's very practical and it works really well but it has no soul to it and you know you would have to have a lot of other interests <laughs> for <laughs> for the, your life to be i think fulfilled uh, because i think that houses you know even if it's just a load of books or whatever you've got you know your possessions inside that house when you shut the door that's your personal space isn't it yeah and i guess that we if you were taking a a blank 
a slate for a brief with an architect and they were building you a house, you would draw on all those things that made you feel comfortable um, and not challenge you too much. Does that sound, I mean, you wouldn't want to no, no, live in a spiky house. Well, but, I guess some people do, don't they? Some people want something that challenges them or they, you know, they have a very singular vision of uh, the particular house they want to live in. I often think when you see them on property programs, they're the people who will build it, live there for a year and then move on somewhere else. But um, yeah, the, but yeah. The, the forever home thing. Yeah. We want a yeah. forever home. I don't know what yeah. that means. Um, I, I'd rather, much rather build a, uh, a Frankenstein monster um, <laughs> of a house from all yeah. the, you know, so I was, I've written down, uh, you know, um, prepare to experience my complete and utter lack of understanding of architecture. I am going to build a Frankenstein monster of a house from my memory well, banks. Well, well, why don't you kick off? Where where would your house be? What would its location be? Uh, well, it would be in a town uh, or a city. Um, it wouldn't be in the countryside, although I do live in kind of semi-rural. Um, I like the hubbub and noise of a town. I don't want people to be able to see into my house or to look at, at me, um, but... Uh, I'm going to have to hang on a sec. But there's a dog. Have you got a cat? No, it's a dog crying, and I'm going to go and kill it. Hang okay. on a second. Uh, Sorry I'm about that. Su- I'm kind of surprised that you um, that you'd have a, a townhouse. Right. Well, it would be in why. a town. I like I like hearing uh, walking. You know, people walking by in the hubbub. Mm. When when I lived in St. Mar- when I um, rented a room in St. Margaret, so I was quite high up and sort of overlooked a pub and. Um, I like that. I like that noise and that connection to, to people. I don't like traffic noise. And, and you, you get a lot yeah. more of that out in the countryside because people are driving at six billion miles an hour. Yeah, uh, true. But I do. I, I, yeah, I do. I miss the, that town feel. So, yeah, my house would be in a town. Where, where would yours be? Um, I always used to say town. I mean, like you, I, I, when I first left college, I lived right in the heart of York in an, an old four-star 18th century building on the top floor in servants' quarters. I was renting it, uh, kind of lodging really, because the the landlord lived downstairs. And we looked out across the minster and the bar walls, and it was amazing. It was right on one of the high streets in York, and I loved that. You could hear the bells, and you know, you'd leave the window open on a night, and someone's cat would wander in from the rooftops, and it was fantastic. And I really found that sort of quite fascinating. But increasingly, particularly over the last couple of years, I just definitely want to be in the countryside um preferably by a, a river i was saying to steph tonight that if we win the lottery i'd would it be okay if i bought as an island so that i could build a house on an island um so i want to be away from everything um just have nature around me i think part of that is just because i've i've come to love nature more and more over the last couple of years and part of it i think it would inspire my work and influence my work to be in the countryside um so i'd seek that out i think so a little uh maybe on a little kind of bend in a in a river you know the itching maybe that'd be quite nice um trees overhanging but yeah, definitely by by the river in the countryside. Yeah, I, I demand a moat for mine. 
I'd like I'd like a moat. I like to cross over some kind of little little, little wooden bridge. Well, I quite like. What are you going to be in the middle of a town? I quite like. I know, um, I know this is the whole thing. I can I can choose. Yeah, I can choose all sorts. I'm not designing a house from the ground up. I'm just picking things <laughs> I like. Okay, um, so what's next in your house? Uh, uh, well, before we get there, I want a big spreading tree in front of the house. A mulberry yeah. tree. I like I like a mulberry tree. Yeah, that's for the, ja- jam purposes. Yeah, maybe or silk. <laughs> <laughs> there's a the story, isn't there? There's loads of um, I think it's white mulberry trees. Um, in Surrey, I think they were brought over by one of the kings who wanted his own um, kind of silk industry in this country. And they bought silkworms and all these mulberry trees. And they'd bought the wrong mulberry trees. Right. There's, white, there's white mulberry and black mulberry. Uh, and the silkworms only eat the leaves of one of them. Oh. And we'd bought the wrong ones. Which yeah. explains apparently why there's lots of mulberry trees around. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'd, I'd have an oak. Definitely an oak, a big old, four hundred year old oak. Right. You don't want an you don't want an ash tree too near your house, do you? I don't know why. Oh. Well, you need to read the uh, the ash tree story by M. R. James. I can't remember oh. what it's called exactly. Yeah. Okay. No. If you if you have one near your house, it lets spirits in, evil spirits. Oh uh, well, I'd have a horseshoe. spiders. I'd have a horseshoe over the door, but uh, aligned to the you know pointing to the left. Right, so it keeps the keeps the the good look in, but the bad spirits out. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I a, maybe a Georgian f- front I'd have. You know, I like that classic classical look. Mm-hmm. A nice big wide door. You know, to the golden <clears> ratio, <throat> rather than one of these tall, <laughs> tall new thin fangled ones. Yeah. So, so only short people can get in, and I'd have a big French knocker on it. One yeah. of those, one of those hands, you know, it's like a oh, you get yes. in French towns, amazing. Like holding a big ball. Yeah, I'd have one of those. Yeah. Nice. Uh, a boot, mate. A boot. I've written down a boot scraper. It's got to have a boot scraper. You know, if I've ridden, I like in, a boot scraper. Yeah. I was thinking of doing a book. Um, you know, do a book of just called Doors of London or Doors of wherever, and uh, and it's just literally the photograph of the door, and that's it, and the next page, and then maybe some uh, like a some notes at the end that just talks about the address and what was what what, what went on there but literally just the front door because it just says so much doesn't it it it, yeah. it it implies so much of what's inside that that house it does yeah i like that idea um i think that mine would be um i think it would be modern but it would be wooden and built to be weathered so i quite like um Little kind of uh, what do you call a little? What do they call a little wooden tiles? Can't remember what they're called. Uh, sh- Single shingles. Yeah, so it'd be uh, clad in ash shingles that'd go nice and grey. It'd be one story, maybe with uh, maybe with one kind of extra bit poking out that could be my um, my studio. So right. kind of a little bit up towards the the level of the the lower branches of the oak tree, um, with windows that opened completely, so that I was you know I could sit at my drawing board with uh, nature right there. So you, know, yeah, w- you know what type of house you need, don't you? 
You need to move to California, don't you? And get a, a Joseph Eichler or Eichler. Oh, I don't know about his, but aren't they all a bit too slick? I wouldn't want slick at all. I'd want wood and warm. Yeah, no, they're all made of wood. They're in, yeah. Inside, they're all clad with uh, with mahogany and they're all glass fronted looking onto mm. little, uh, little, yeah, little copses or little uh, gardens. I'm not making any sense tonight, am I? No, no, no. Um, but uh yeah no they're fantastic houses uh he 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 wasn't an architect he was a property developer but he mm. put to, he put together an amazing uh, array of housing estates around california which i just i would i would definitely have one you know i love i love that kind of that low almost bungalow but you get a little bit sticking up yeah um, yeah low, low houses i think are, are nice and then you can get your you can have your japanese bog in there can't you yeah. At the end I'm of one of the corridors. Houses. I'm looking at his houses now. No, this isn't what I want. I mean... It's too uh, modern. Yeah. They're too kind of 1950s, aren't they? I mean, yeah. they're beautiful. Um, but no, I think it would be... Uh, uh, it's very hard to describe. It has to be modern. I think a Japanese influence would be big. I'd want massively overhanging eaves. And it would be surrounded by a, a terrace that was completely covered by the eaves so that you, you know, you could walk in the rain around it barefoot. Um, and it'd keep it nice and cool in the summer. But yeah, I, I think the, the textures of the, the wood, nothing, although I'd want, you know, some big glass windows in there and windows that opened completely out of the way. I think similarly, I'd, I'd like, you know, little slot windows and, you know, uh, really long thin windows that would give you a kind of give you an incredible view um almost like a you know it's like framing the um the view completely for you yeah so you'd be on a hill somewhere but by well, a river I, I, no, no by the river so slightly up but yeah looking out over the i can't wait to go over the river yeah it'd be beautiful <laughs> the the other house that really appeals to me is the uh, is a good story as well is the Nilsson house uh, Harry Nilsson uh, I've spoken about him before and yeah. uh, you you actually sent uh, a link of one of your um, who was it who sent a link of their pristine copy of the oh, Point yeah. comic Gareth through, Lamont yeah um, he's, he's discovered a vinyl um, obsession for his right. third midlife crisis he says <laughs> and uh, he yeah he he went out and got that. So and it still had the comic in it. Yeah. So I and I've I've got the the original LP that my dad had, and it's do and it's still got the comic inside it, but it's a little bit more uh, more fly blown. But yeah. um, Harry Nilsson, but I think he bought the house. It's called the. Um, I'll, send, I'll send you the link. Um, it's a. It was a a modernist house built in Bel Air. I think Bella, uh, and um, it was ta- it was bought subsequently by um, Kelsey Grammer. Okay, and if you go onto the wiki pages for Harry Nilsson's life, uh, it talks about the house, and you know it sort of it speculates as to what's happened to it since. And I I read in the comments that re- uh, left on the March the thirteenth two thousand eleven, the architect Eugene Cupper, um, who apparently is quite a a, a well to do uh, architecture. Yeah. Team, 
tutor in California, has left a comment saying, I did design the Nilsson House. It is no longer the Nilsson House and it is no longer the work of architecture I designed. It has been oh. disfigured by Kelsey Grammer and others. Do not list me as the architect. Oh, dear. <laughs> wow. A typical architect, isn't it, really? Getting, yeah. getting their knickers in a twist. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, uh, but that, that house really appeals to me. I'm going to just send you the link here. Oh, okay. I've seen this before, the, the Nielsen House. Yeah, that's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, incredible. I love the the contrast between the, the real stark um, concrete and the, the wooden roof inside. Yeah, because it's like a church, isn't it, from out the yeah. outside? But it's it almost looks like a modernist, and... like a modernist Mexican church. Yeah, I think I think it sits in the landscape beautifully, and it just yeah. I'd love that, you know, scrubland and uh, peace and quiet, and the fact that you can see all the way through the house. There's a little yeah. tiny. That's what I've, I I love um, hidden uh, areas in houses and reveals and strange windows and pools of light. Yeah, absolutely. And, and secret bits. Um, but but then I'd love also to be able to look out and spy on the world going by. I wouldn't want yeah. to see just nature. I'd find it too boring. Oh, no, I could quite happily just see nature. But I think there's, the, there's, a, you know, there's a fascination with kind of open plan living at the minute. And that doesn't really do it for me. You know, I'm all for, you know, big open rooms. But I also want the the kind of reveal as you walk into an area, you know, I don't want you to walk in through the front door and you to be able to see the entire house laid out for you. And there's something about, you know, corridors that open up into rooms and, and then expose you to a view through a, you know, an elongated window or a, you know, a glass panel in a wall or something that's sort of fascinating. So I like the idea of, you know, being in one room and kind of glimpsing, you know, different areas and views as you kind of go through the house. Yeah, I think just the big the big reveal is, you know, it's like the money shot of architecture, isn't it? That big mm. open expanse at the back of a house that looks over a pristine lawn with a gold yeah. goalpost in it and a trampoline. It seems to be <laughs> yes. ubiquitous. Uh, I did go through a huge jealous patch of loads of my friends, you know, expanding their houses and um, and opening up, you know, uh, Victorian houses or big seventies houses or whatever it was, and um, but subsequently they all seem to be closing and boxing back in again uh, as their families expand and become more chaotic. Yeah. It's very hard to. It must be very very hard to live in that open plan world without driving each other absolutely lunatic. Unless you're a very loving or quiet family, because yeah, absolutely. you know you've got the television on in one room in one section, somebody cooking and fr- you know maybe the washing machine going and you know them kids playing with the doors open just drive you absolutely potty <laughs> yeah I, well, I, that, that's it the reality of living in a house is very different to the the you know how you see it on the tv programs and in the magazines isn't it but being able to retreat into a room that's specifically built for that purpose whether that's a library or a study or um a kitchen or a utility room or you know those very specific rooms that are developed over decades and um you know sometimes hundreds of years that we've sort of um uh in in the last 15 20 years has been rejected people very rapidly from what i've seen moving back to it putting in partition doors Mm. or even sliding panels just to try and you know create those private spaces because people don't want to be on top of each other all the time. Yeah, I agree completely. So you mentioned libraries there and studies. 
So would you have a library? Oh, yeah, I've written that down there. It would be a, a library come games room, possibly, oh. you know, with like a, a, a billiard, billiards, table. billiards table on, um, some, some, some leather chairs that are with the spring sticking through and a bit of wooden yeah. coming out. Uh, yeah. So somewhere that you could go and drink really nice whiskey and fall asleep. And Well, that's uh, perfect as well because the, the books on the walls and the leather furniture would uh, muffle the, the sound of the, the china billiard balls clanking together. Yeah. So that's perfect. Actually, yeah. I found I found my perfect reading chair right. this week as well. There's a, a little shop called Attic on uh, Hampton Hill High Street, and it sells um, vintage furniture and all sorts of lovely stuff, you know, beautiful homewares, very expensive. Um, they've currently got three shops in a row, and they're closing off one of them. Um, so they've got some of their sale stuff in the window. And they've got this old... I guess kind of nineteen late nineteen fifties leather armchair, you know, with a kind of very curved um, side arms to it. Yep. Um, and Steph had popped into the shop to measure up a, a unit that she's looking at for her workshop, and I just sat in this chair, and it was it was like a hug. It was beautiful. You know, just imagine sitting in that chair with your feet up, uh, reading a book. Absolutely perfect. So that, you know, I think, yes, have a library. But for me, having a perfect little spot to read, or lots of little spots. When I was a kid and I always imagined what my perfect house would be, it was very much the opposite of what I want now. But it was based on the Halifax Building Society advert. You know the one You know the right. one where the guy, the guy, uh, looks in the fridge and there's no milk and then his cat meows at him and there's no food and he goes to the cash point and uh, he goes to the cash point and buys paper and buys and then he comes back and he kind of sits on his windowsill in this open plan sort of loft apartment and when I was a kid I thought that's that's what I want when I'm growing up I want a loft apartment with a windowsill big enough that I can sit on it ah oh, right and I think yeah. when I was probably 13 I probably thought oh and I could play the saxophone at night I, I, I love a windowsill I love a window seat um, yeah, we we had one in our in my childhood house, and I t- I sort of said this before. Michael Parkinson used to live in our house before we owned it, and I, I looked. I picked up his. Um, I was in a bookshop and I picked up his autobiography, which only came out I think a couple of years ago, and um, flicked through it, and there was a picture of him with his family sitting in the window seat that <laughs> I grew up sitting in, watching the world go by How when incredible. I was a kid. Yeah, it was in, in it was in Windsor with busy, you know, I think a lot of these are formed by my childhood sitting in that window yeah. seat watching the world go by. Yeah. And it was like the lounge was like, you know, was was higher because you, you walked up steps to get into it. It was a townhouse. So um, underneath, you know, the basement was kitchen and dining room. Um, so you walked yeah. above it. But yeah, and I, I, it was so surprising seeing it. It was just I amazing. Was. But yeah, I, lo- I love a window seat and watching watching the world go by. Yeah. Um, and it, it was backed on. I would have a walled garden. I like a, a small walled garden. No, I love no, walled garden. No, no mowing. Um, some <laughs> nice, maybe a quince tree in there. Uh, and just, you know, yeah, just, just slightly overgrown. But that's it with maybe a table and chairs. And then I don't have to do any bloody gardening. <laughs> <laughs> would you would your quince tree be uh, esplanaded across a wall? Yeah, uh, yeah. Why not? Let's yeah, let's do it. Of course. Nice. <laughs> uh, so, what about a study? Well, that might have to take place. Yeah, a study, um, a desk against a large window. 
out look, looking out onto stuff at the moment. You, you can't really do that anymore, can you? With a big, with a big screen, you can't sit in a window and, and yeah. look out. Well, you, you could because you're you're sitting drawing a lot. But um, yeah, I'd I need guess- either I'd need either an L shaped desk, and I could have my computer off to one side. Yeah, and then I could just draw and have the view in front of me, which would be just perfect. Yeah. At the minute, I'm quite lucky. Cause right, <laughs> I've got the skylight. Which looks at you know from where I am, I can see straight out into there's a holly tree and an oak tree. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking that if I've got this house, I don't really have to do design anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll get rid of the computer straight away. Yeah, um, you'd just be able to partake in your history projects, wouldn't you? Yeah, and that's all I'd be doing: pottery and maybe sm- smoking a pipe. Yeah, um, and 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 chomping and looking out, and so you'd have an entire an entire room devoted to your slipper collection. Yeah, and uh, shooting anything that's beyond the ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> oh, marvelous! Yeah. Um, uh, so what's left? Well, um, there's 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 so much, isn't there? I, I guess bedrooms are really a bit boring to me. I don't really, you know, what's you know, I like a kind of dark bedroom and. That's about it, really. I'm not, but maybe, maybe in the bathroom, a sunken bath. Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, we had a sunken bath in that house as well. You're like a raised bit of bath with a giant yeah. oval bath, and you could, as kids, it was the best thing ever. It was like a swimming pool. But yeah, lots of lots of very seventies. It was our house. In fact, I've got a, I've pulled a book off the bookshelf that I've got. That if uh, I really recommend if you're into this kind of house dreaming, it's called the House Book. It was um, Terence Conran's first book. It's from oh, 19, okay. from 1974. You can get them. It, you can pick them up. I think it's still being printed, um, but it's just filled with the most amazing photographs that he's obviously collected off of all his celeb mates throughout. You know, from, from I guess from early sixties through to the early seventies and just the range of architecture and styling in there is is really surprising actually you, you you know we haven't moved on that far from uh the early 70s in terms of what looks great <laughs> what works i mean yeah. some of the some of the uh you know the materials that used are much more smooth now and, and streamlined but back then the you know we still had he had design chops and it's a book that I go back to all the time. If ever I'm thinking about doing stuff at home in my limited fashion, it's a great yeah. book. Great book. Um, so yeah, no, I, I would, um, I, I wouldn't worry about the bathrooms and the, and the, uh, and the, the kitchen too much, but I'd quite like a, um, uh, not a roof garden, but a terrace on the roof. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, would you have an observatory? I guess you'd you'd have I a would. telescope up there. I would have an observatory. Yeah, yeah, like like um, Grandpa Pig in uh, Peppa Pig. Really? Yeah, he's got one. Has he? But I always think uh, an observatory in this country would be a bit pointless because you know the amount of clear nights we get. So I might have to have a second home in sort of um, right in the middle of Spain, somewhere up on the up on a mountain. Well, you need to move out here because when we do get a clear night, it is absolutely spectacular. We, Certainly dark no, out that way, isn't it? There's no um, there's no light pollution here in this yeah. in, the, in the village, which is 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 amazing. Um, but yeah, stairwells. I like a stairwell. I like um, you know, a window on a stairwell. Yeah, yeah. Again, um, that would have to have a nice wide windowsill, so I could just sit there. Yeah, partly because my age, because I'd need to sit down halfway up the stairs, but. When when I'm when I first moved to London, I got a job. Um, don't ask me why, but I was working for this sign company, and we got a job um, doing gilding. I don't, have I spoken about this before? I we so. we re gilded the 
Kuwaiti embassy, I think it was. <laughs> yeah, I imagine yeah. that would have needed a lot of gilding. Yeah, it was. It was. It was tens of thousands of pounds worth of gilding, um, and they had this. Uh, the 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 banister for the main stairwell was solid gold, and they had real. They had they had real trouble with it because ladies that would come down the stairwells with their um, diamond and men, I'm sure, with with their diamond rings on, and um, would often scratch the gold because it was so of soft. Course. Yeah. Um, but we had to gild all of the, uh, it was an iron staircase and it was about three or f- four flights, I think, but we had Blimey. to gild all the flowers on there and the foliage. Um, and I was just doing the sizing, which is the glue bit. Yeah. I wasn't trusted with doing the polishing. <laughs> and, uh, but um, I was, so I was below doing the sizing while other people were gilding above me. And it was just this incredible experience of this lighted stairwell with this gold drifting down as it was being brushed off, just flo- you know, literally was snow, snow and gold. It was. So you'd have a gilded staircase then? No, I, I know I'm not really into all that, but it was. It was. I do. I, I like a staircase. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's just a nice memory of that. What wasn't a nice memory was standing at the top of twelve foot trestle tables while every everyone shook the. Uh, the ladders no, while I was nice. trying to gild the you ceiling. Were the new boy. Yeah, because I was the new boy. They took yeah. me off for lunch. Made me. They 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 went for lunch every day and had three pints for lunch. <laughs> in the in the Windsor Castle in Notting Hill was it? Yeah, something like it was there. Yeah. So and um and uh, and then I'd come back after having drunk three pints. I'm not a massive, you know. I'm three pints and I'm a bit wobbly. So then standing on the top of these uh these trestle tables was uh, was a most unpleasant feeling. So I didn't do that much. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. So, what would you have on your roof? Um, well, yes, proper big, proper roof terrace, and a proper observatory dome, definitely. Right. Um, but the other thing I'd have in the house, uh, I'd have to have a boat house as well because I'd be on the river. Of course. But the, but the boat house would be, uh, you'd have to access it via a trapdoor and a ladder down into the boathouse onto the river level. Ooh. I don't know why. I just think that sounds quite cool. Yeah. There were some of those along the river, the river Thames, aren't there like that? Yeah. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. I, I would like a nice, nice little rowing boat. Well, I think we should draw our dreams to an end. Have we got anything mm. else to, because uh, we've gone on a long time. We have. Um, Maybe for another thing that we probably won't get around to doing, we should draw our houses. Yeah. I, I I um I love I love dreaming about houses and uh, and if people have got dream uh, you know buildings that they 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 um, obsess about uh, when you're looking at your pile of Lego in the corner or uh, you know you tre- you know you tripped over the sofa again because it's in the way of the front door or what you know whatever it is in your house that there's always something isn't there that just yeah. drives you to distraction um, I've got about five million of them uh, but. Um, yeah, it's nice to dream of a of a perfect house that you could possibly live in, but it's a it's a dream. <laughs> yeah, but it's like you said, it's a nice dream to have. Yeah, it's good. It's like saying, "What would you do if you won the lottery?" To me, it's more much more interesting and. Rewarding. I'm a dream house. Or <laughs> <laughs> build it. So, yeah. do you want to skip straight to pies today? Or Let's got- go straight to pies. So I have got. I've been drinking Brixton. Ephra Ale, by the way. I've finished it now, which is a shame because it was lovely. Really fragrant, uh, quite malty. Is that a new beer? beer? A new beer then? Brixton um, Ephra? I don't know. Heard of it. My uh, granddad was from was born in Brixton. Yeah, I don't know. Four and a half percent. Very nice. Lovely label. 
um, my um, booze shop around the corner had they got four or five different Brixton beers. So I'll, I'll sample them all at some point. Uh, but my pies from Waitrose, my wife popped into Waitrose today to buy me a pie and was, she was uh, thoroughly dismayed by the lack of choice. So I've got a, a Walker's fluted pot pie, which I think I've had before, but it is a good pot pie. They, they are, they, they're, they're the ones who make stuff for all the brands, like the Tesco one that yeah. I had that I gave a really good score. Yeah, the best thing about it, it's a bit greasy. The pastry on the outside is a, is a bit greasy. But the best thing about it is um, it's quite a nice chunky meat, but it's got plenty of jelly, which is really nice. So just excuse me. It just tastes like a real good proper pork pie. And the jelly is super. It's got that kind of sweet and saltiness. Um, it's very good. It gets a it gets a seven, I think, as a pork pie. Well, that's not bad. Um, I'm hmm. I'm still bumping bumping along the bottom of, uh, of <laughs> grim pies. I've got a that was I've got a, a pie from Waitrose that was reduced. It's reduced to two pounds nine p, and then it was. Frozen. Have you spent? Too, have you spent too much on your kitchen, John? Yep. <laughs> and then it was reduced to uh, yeah, and then it was frozen after that. And it's a pork and smoked chicken pie, which with tomato and chili chutney. Now I thought that might be inside it, but I took it out, and it is literally wet on the top with chutney on the top. Oh. I've cut it in half. There's no jelly. It looks really dry. Um, I'm absolutely starving, so. You know, I'd eat anything at the moment. I'm going in. The chutney's really nice, but it means that you can't taste anything else. Yeah, it's that's quite the bit spicy. I would be awful. No, actually, it's much nicer. The pie is really dry. The pastry is really greasy. There's no jelly in it, but the chutney on top, bring it on. Yeah. Quite like it. Um, I'm going to give that a five. It really doesn't deserve much more than that. But for mm. design-wise, with a wet top on a pie. Ugh, just Curious. turning my stomach just thinking about it um, and I've washed it down with a glass of Malbec huh? um, not particularly good Malbec but it was you know it's done the job I haven't got any beer oh, okay. uh, so I think uh, we should wrap this up we've been going for quite a long time now yep good luck um, on the edit <laughs> got quite a lot of editing to do there uh, uh, well it's uh, it's been a delight as always talking to you John you too um, are you doing anything this weekend? Weekend off. Nice. What are you doing? No idea. That's why it's so nice. Lovely. Yeah. You? Childcare. Oh, yeah. Of course. Enjoy. It's, it's just me and Kitty. We're going swimming. Yeah. We're going to go to Pizza Express. We're going to have a we're going to have a crazy time. Cool. Sounds brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye. Stars were no good for making carpet in this life.